and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, our guest is Matt Martin, who is the CEO at Clockwise. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Please, tell us a bit about yourself and what you do, how you got to where you are. Yeah, happy to. So I, as you mentioned, am the one of the co-founders and CEO of Clockwise. And we're a company that helps engineers, designers, and people of all stripes make more time for their prioritized work by automatically rearranging their schedule to make more time for focused work in their day. My background is a little bit untraditional. So uh, while I've been in software management for a number of years now, and uh, while I've done software engineering in and out for my whole life, For a period of time, I did go into law. I was a a lawyer and a legal professional uh, where I also managed some teams. Yeah, yeah, interesting background. And uh, while I was a lawyer, I was working on a startup that was going precisely nowhere because I was a full-time attorney uh, and decided to make the jump into software engineering full-time about a decade ago and then spent some time at a variety of companies in the Bay Area, software companies of all stages and sizes where I honed my software engineering skills as a front-end engineer, but also transitioned into software engineering management. Uh, the last company that I was at was a company called Relate IQ, which was acquired by Salesforce for $400 million in 2014. Yeah, yeah, good outcome for the company. And uh, we transitioned into Salesforce, where I was heading up the front-end engineering team for our subdivision. And then in 2016, left Salesforce with the idea for Clockwise, started that company, raised a seed round from Excel Partners, a great venture capital firm here in the Bay Area in 2017, grew that team and uh, publicly launched Clockwise in the summer of last year. We also brought on Greylock Partners as an investor, and our team right now is just about 20 people. So still relatively small, but able to make a huge difference in software companies of all stages and sizes in terms of how much time they have for productive work. Mm-hmm. So that is my story in a nutshell. Sounds like you've had a lot of different experiences. So you will be a great addition to telling us about productivity and time management, I'm sure. Let's jump right in. Engineering managers and leaders often feel overwhelmed by their long to-do lists. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can attest to this. Have you ever experienced something similar? And if so, what have you done to overcome this challenge? Yeah, so this is something that we think a lot about it clockwise, but also I've thought a lot about it in my career. And I think there are a couple things to point out here. The first is kind of the stage of your transition into management. So for new managers, I find a recurring problem is often people are trying to do two functions at once. It's very often in our industry of software engineering that you're asked to transition into management while you're still doing individual contributor work. So you might be spending still 50 plus percent of your time doing heads down software engineering work, just like your old role, just like being an individual contributor. But you're asked to take on increasing management responsibilities. And that transitionary phase can be quite difficult because you're basically doing two roles at once, but very, very common. And then there's the more mature phase where you're spending 100% of your time thinking about managing the team and your roles and responsibilities are going to increase with time. Uh, Over time, you start to manage managers you start to manage divisions and then maybe even the whole engineering portion of the company. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important first to think about what phase you're at in that because the the solves for it are going to look a little bit different depending on the phase. And I often see people who are, you know, in that transitionary phase taking advice of more seasoned senior managers and even feeling overwhelmed by the advice. So A couple tactical things that I I really like to use to lay the groundwork for especially new managers, but really managers of all stripes. So first is 
to just be easy on yourself. So don't don't be too harsh on yourself. I think it's it's easy to feel like you're behind, feel like you're not doing your job, and you can add to your own stress and anxiety by being really harsh on yourself and evaluating yourself. This is difficult work. It's difficult to transition. It's difficult to do it well. Just take stock in where you are. And there's some simple steps that you can take to just start getting better. Becoming one of the best just looks like doing a couple things every day, day after day. And so the change might not be overnight. So you just have to be easy on yourself. So that's number one. Number two, and I like to, again, lay this as a foundation for all of the other topics that we're probably going to talk about today, is really take stock of your time. So the key building block of what you can accomplish in your week is your time and how much time you have to allocate towards these different tasks. And what I like to advocate is people dive in to their calendar and really kind of do an audit of understanding what are the basic building blocks? What do you have time for? What do you not have time for? And Carolina, if you don't mind, I can dive into what that looks like right now. It's kind of a simple process. Please go ahead and tell us about the process. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people, when they hear calendar audit, first of all, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, to be honest, but it can feel overwhelming and it can really be quite simple. So what I advocate to people, just as a first pass, just to do this once to see how it feels, take a look at what is a typical week for you. And what you want to do is you want to look back a couple weeks because if you look forward, that doesn't give you a realistic view of how your week unfolds because people schedule with you during the course of the week. Things pop up that might not be on your calendar yet. So go back. Go back to a standard week. Go back to a non-holiday week and take a look at your calendar in that week. And then looking at that week, you can do it digitally just on your screen. Some people like to just print it off, uh, print out the week view of their calendar so they can take a look at it and mark it up. Mm -hmm. But either way, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be basically categorizing all of your meetings into five different categories. And you can just use a five-point scale here, so one through five. And uh, you're going to rank every meeting that you have on your calendar one through five. And it's a scale from basically one is, I don't know why I'm even doing this. This is the least important thing. I really shouldn't even be in this meeting. To a five is, if I'm not there, I'm probably going to be fired. So you're basically running <laughs> the meeting or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And so just a brief overview of how I like to split out those categories is five is, yeah, you're running the meeting or it's very, very critical to your job where if you don't show up to that, it's going to really reflect on you poorly. So this might be a one-on-one -on -one with your manager. It might be doing critical reviews, et cetera. Number fours are if you didn't show up consistently, like if you cancel the meeting, you wouldn't be able to function your job well. So these are one-on-ones with your direct reports. These are perhaps recurring team meetings, etc. Number threes is where it starts to get interesting. So these are meetings that perhaps with a little bit of effort, you could enable somebody else to take the reins. You're not going to be able to do it overnight, but you might be able to enable other people to do a code review. You might be able to get other people to handle the recurring team meeting. And then twos start to get into the area where these really don't need to be recurring responsibilities. Maybe there's stuff that you like to do, but really evaluate critically whether or not you need them. And ones are just, you should get them off your calendar. So at the end of ranking this, what's really important about this is you start to get a feel for what are the immovable objects on your calendar. Fives and fours, you can't get rid of, you need to do them, they're critical. So how much, what percentage of your week is five and fours? And for most managers, that's probably gonna be around anywhere from 10 to 40%, depending on your career phase, but it's usually around 25% of your time. And then at the threes and twos, that's where you start to have a lot of wiggle room. Threes over time, you can get rid of, twos you can maybe switch right now, and ones you can start to get rid of. And what this does is it gives you a baseline for understanding, as a manager, how is my time currently allocated? And then critically, what time is left over? So after all those meetings that are critical, how much time do I have to be proactive about my job instead of reactive? And that's overall what we're trying to fight is 
that feeling that I think we all get into, again, don't be hard on yourself. Even the best managers of the world have weeks where they're just running around, putting out fires, consistently reactive. But you're trying to get out of that reactive phase where it feels like you're running from meeting to meeting, you're running from fire to fire, that you're not able to get ahead and critically make space for proactive work to get ahead to lead your team. And so that's a simple task. I like to go in a little bit of detail, but if you do it, it takes maybe two, three minutes. It doesn't take a lot of time. And you're just trying to get an honest view of, for yourself of how much time do you actually have to do proactive managerial work. So just to clarify, do you mean that for you to look back on your week, it uh, takes two or three minutes? Or do you mean that for you looking forward, once you have established the baseline, it will take two or three minutes to evaluate your upcoming meetings? Yeah, to clarify, this is just the look back. So if you look back at a previous week and do this analysis, you can probably just intuition level, rank them one through five and do some quick math in about two to three minutes, maybe five max. And this important baseline gives you an understanding for if you're in that transitional phase where you're still doing individual contributor work, then you're going to have a lot of non-meeting time, likely. But you also need to account for that individual contributor work where you're coding. Mm -hmm. So that's one trick of this is to make sure that you have that balance straight. If you're a more dedicated, complete manager, you're probably going to surprise yourself with how little proactive time you have in a given week. And then you have to keep in mind that a lot of that white space, a lot of the non-meeting time is going to be taken up by context switching, by in-the-hallway conversations, by email triage, by Slack, by going through Asana. And so this baseline, this let's call it five minutes to be conservative, this five-minute baseline helps give you a realistic understanding of how much time do you have to play with. And then on a go forward basis, if you so choose, I actually try to do this now once a month. I don't do it every week. Some people do it every week. But just making sure that my baseline hasn't shifted dramatically. Because on a go forward basis, what you're going to use this for is understanding how much time you have to block off in order to do the proactive work that you need to do. And we can dive into that. That's kind of phase two of this process. Mm -hmm. Phase one is just getting that baseline. Mm -hmm. So you have your baseline. Let's take the transitional manager perspective because that's probably the most complicated. So you've done your five-minute baseline. You've identified that in a given week, you have 15 to 20 hours of meetings. About 10 hours of those are essential. So in a typical 40-hour work week, you have between 20 and 30 hours to play with. And again, that's because you have 10 hours of critical meetings, you have 10 hours of optional meetings. And so you can try to reduce the optional meeting time by, again, helping to transition some of those meetings to other members on your team by just straight up canceling the meetings that are not essential. Or you can just accept that 10 hours of optional as an area for improvement and you have 20 hours to play with. That's up to you in terms of what you need as a time allocation. And then looking at that remainder time, if you're a transitional manager, 20 hours isn't a lot because you're trying to do two roles at once. You're trying to be an engineer on your team and be the manager for your team. Now, those are two separate jobs that you're trying to cram into the remaining 20 hours of your week. That is a tough challenge for anyone. And so you have to be pretty critical about setting aside time for doing heads down software engineering and setting aside time for managerial work. What this often forces is a very critical conversation with your manager about whether or not you can really be an individual contributor on your team or not. But let's just, again, taking the most complex scenario, let's just assume that you have to be a member of your team and the manager of your team at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you're a dedicated manager, this is a little bit simpler, but again, taking the most complex scenario for those who are listening, look at your week, and now what you're going to be able to do is you're going to say, geez, if I only have 20 hours of time to do both these functions, I need to carve out, let's say, at least four hours a week to be a proactive manager. And now I only have 16 hours of heads down time. And again, this is if you're lucky. 16 hours is, is pretty good to do individual contributor work. And so 16 hours is approximately two days of your week. So maybe you set aside Tuesdays and Thursdays for your individual contributor, member of the team, software engineering work, 
you rearrange your meetings to get them off of Tuesday and Thursdays. So you can do maybe your one-on-ones on Wednesdays, and then you have Wednesday afternoon, you have a dedicated four hours that you're going to set aside. You're going to schedule that on your calendar. You're going to hold that as sacred, not allow anybody to interrupt you, not allow anybody to tap you on the shoulder, not allow anybody to ping you on Slack to say, I really need your opinion on this. You're going to have four hours that you need to dedicate to the needs and attentions of the team, to managing your team, to managing the careers of the people on your team, to thinking about what's the most important stuff that this team needs to accomplish and how do I need to unblock them. And for new managers, this is going to feel awkward. It's going to feel tricky. You're going to sit down to those four hours. You're going to have a million fires to put out. The temptation to just put those fires out and focus on the needs of your team that they're asking for is going to be almost irresistible. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely human. You know, it's going to feel good to put out a fire. It's not going to feel good or as good to sit around and thinking about the future needs of your team. But this is the only way you get yourself out of debt is you have to force yourself to get in this habit of thinking proactively. And so the great things to do in this time are thinking about really being introspective as to your role as a manager of the team. And the first and probably most important question that you want to ask is, what is the biggest need of my team right now? What is the most critical thing that my team needs to accomplish? And that can be tactical. You don't need to start with career development or future objectives. That could be, we really need to ship this one aspect of the product. We really need to get it out the door. That's okay if you want to stay tactical, because especially if you're a new manager, that's probably going to be the most comfortable. Start to think about how you can unblock your team, how you can help them move faster, how you can help them be better in that area. And that could be a variety of things. You know, I want to set aside time to sync with the product manager responsible for that project every week. I want to hold a couple more code reviews to make sure to unblock the team. I want to make sure that we have the blockers for my team recorded in Slack. Uh, Just use that time to think creatively about how you get ahead. It's the most important aspect, just building up that muscle to thinking critically about the not the software engineering that you have to do, not the fires you have to put out, but how you can enable and unblock the team to move better as a group. And then over time, of course, start to think about career development. How are the opportunities for your team to grow? One way that I think is quite effective for new managers or managers who are managing for some time is, again, going back to that calendar audit, you have those number three ranked meetings where these are meetings where possibly somebody else on the team could lead those meetings over time. Mm -hmm. Those are often good candidates for giving people opportunities to expand their career. I'll use a specific example from my own career. I had a front-end engineering team meeting every Friday over lunch. In this meeting, as time went on, and as my duties expanded, as I started managing managers, I wasn't doing a very good job of setting the agenda for that meeting, of collecting topics, of really leading an active discussion. I wasn't setting aside the proactive time to do that, and other things were taking up my time. It took me too long to identify that this is a great opportunity for somebody else on the team to step up and lead that meeting themselves. Because I think as managers, we often feel like it's our duty to take on the work that is non-engineering work. And that's not always the case. Members of your team want to participate in the team building aspects, in some of the non-engineering aspects of the team. And so for that team sync on Fridays, Uh, You know, I identified somebody on my team who wanted to take a more active role in the team. They were eager to help. They were eager to put together that agenda. They were eager to sync with other people. They weren't able to do that the first meeting. They couldn't even do it alone the second meeting. But by the third meeting, they were able to run that pretty effectively. And I had both eliminated some work from my calendar. I had made that meeting better because somebody had time to spend on it. And it also enabled some career development for that individual. It was something positive for them to do that was outside their IC engineering work. But these are the types of things that that time is really great for, that you really need to make that time. You know, and I, again, I would start with 
try to start with two two-hour blocks each week if you can afford it. Um, if you can only afford two one-hour blocks, that's better than nothing. But really try to get to two two-hour blocks a week. It's going to feel like way too much time at first. You're going to struggle with how to fill it. But over time, that's going to become really critical for you to think about planning, strategy, quarterly targets, career development. It's going to make you a better manager. Mm -hmm. So do you have some sort of a checklist or a suggestion for questions that these managers should ask themselves? You know, uh, when you sit down for two hours, it might seem like a lot of time if you don't have any kind of crutches to help you. Yeah, and a, a little bit of a plug here for our content. So if you go to getclockwise.com slash blog or just go to getclockwise.com, that's G-E-T clockwise.com, we have been trying to fill a lot of content here that actually reflects directly on some of these topics. And so we have a great article that's called How to Evaluate Engineering Managers. Now, it sounds like this is an article, if you're a manager of managers, how to evaluate them. But what's really interesting about this article is that if you put yourself in the mindset of your boss, it actually is kind of clarifying of how you should evaluate your own work on this weekly basis. Like, what should I be paying attention to? And so some of the things that we've identified that are good things for managers to ask of themselves is, A, going back to that first point, what's the most important project your team is working on? So identifying what is the most critical item that your team is working on and identifying why. How does it work? What are the decisions you've made about this project? What are technology choices you've made? Really kind of taking the time to go deep. And so that checklist is just, What's the most important project? Why is the most important? How does it work? Who's working on it? What are the design decisions you made? What are the technology choices? What are the blockers? Mm -hmm. These are key things you can identify. So some other things that you can ask are, in these two-hour blocks, what are our quarterly targets? So this is kind of up-leveling it. And depending on your company, you may have a different cadence. So if instead of quarters, you do these monthly, instead of quarterly, maybe you do them biannually. It doesn't really matter, but you're basically going up the scale. So what's our most important project right now? You might ask, what's our most important item or what's our most important metric for this period, whatever that period may be? You might ask that same question for the quarter or biannually. And by working up the scale, the time horizon scale, what you're doing is you're identifying key blockers. And it gets trickier the longer the time horizon. I think as engineering managers, we're all familiar with how difficult it is to set good targets and set good timelines. And so it will get more difficult to predict. But as you go up that scale, you can ask those same questions. Why is this the most important metric? How are we going to hit it? What are the key inputs to it? What are the things that are going to block us from hitting it? What are the key members of the team? Do those key members of the team have the right information? Do those key members of the team know that they are an important input for us hitting this? And that's a really critical one. Asking yourself if members of your team understand the influence and impact that they have is really critical, both for ensuring that you can hit your targets, but also for morale. It's critical that everybody on your team understands how their work impacts the larger goals of your team, of your organization, and of your company. And so asking those on larger time horizons is really critical as well. And then last but not least here, you're also going to want to think through, Carolina, this is a slightly different topic, but I, I want to make sure to hit on it here. So I'm making a slight pivot. This is, again information that you can ask yourself in these blocks that you've set aside for yourself to be proactive. But this gets a little bit outside of tactical and gets a little bit closer to questions that you might ask for managing yourself in your career as a manager. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about how you're doing, you can think across three different sort of areas. And you might have seen this in other management literature. It's a very common framework. You think about how good of a job am I managing down? So how good of a job am I managing people on my team? You can think of how good of a job am I managing up? So how good of a job am I communicating and being responsive to my boss? And then you can also think of how good of a job am I managing horizontally? How good of a job am I keeping in sync, coordinating with my peers? And peers can be other managers. They can be product managers. They can be 
design leaders, but how good am I keeping the layer horizontally in sync? And so up, down, horizontal. And the questions that you want to ask yourself in these directions are a little bit different. A key input for all of this can be, and it doesn't have to be, but can be a 360 review. So if your team or your company does peer reviews, does 360 reviews, just just does periodic feedback or does continuous feedback, these are really good areas to get information from all three levels about how they think you're doing. And this can be a really good source of information for you on areas that, again, you can use that proactive time to get better at. So say a manager identifies for you that in a review that they really feel sometimes that they're out of sync with exactly what your team is doing and that they don't have the right amount of information. Well, now you have these blocks every week to leave yourself a reminder to synthesize an email or a Slack message to your manager about precisely what's going on in the team, what their most important project is, who's working on it, why it's the most important, and what the progress is. Horizontally, what you want to keep an eye on is, are you communicating the right set of information horizontally so that other people that your team relies on can issue spot ahead of time? So, you know, it's often critical that a product manager or a design leader understands what's happening on your team so that they can forward spot issues as they're thinking about their work. And ways that you might see this come up if you're not doing it correctly is you feel like design is consistently a blocker. There are a lot of reasons why design might be a blocker for your team, but one of them might be that you as a manager aren't doing an effective job of giving the design team a forward insight into where your team is heading and what they're going to need. And then managing down, what you really want to look for is that the team understands where they fit in. They understand what the roadmap is, how to stick to it. They understand how they're performing. They have a good feel. You have a good rapport with them. You have transparency of feedback such that their understanding of how they're performing is very similar to your thoughts on how they're performing. When you start to appreciate a delta in that, when you start to appreciate a difference with how you think a report is performing and how they think they're performing, that can be an area where you want to immediately dive in and you want to make sure that you're both on the same page and that if there are gaps, you identify how you can fix those gaps. Mm -hmm. Could you give us some metrics? Uh, We have gone through quite a few things um, regarding evaluating your own time and um, giving opportunities to your people and uh, managing upwards and um, horizontally and downwards. But um, when it comes to productivity, aren't there any objective, hardcore metrics that um, you would like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so a little bit of a bummer here, Carolina, and to all the listeners is that it's really hard to come by hardcore numbers for metrics for managers. It's inherently a very subjective role, and I think that's one of the things that makes it very difficult to transition into from a software engineering perspective. I think as software engineers, we're pretty familiar with objective measures. Did we deliver the work on time? How many bugs were in the work? Did it satisfy the requirements? The feedback loop of being an individual contributor engineer is very quick. You get to code, you see the results, you can ship it. For managers, the feedback loop is much longer. It can, at its best, be weeks. Uh, It's often months to be able to see the results of good management, if not years, to be honest. And uh, the measures are subjective. Now, one hardcore metric that I can point to, and again, you know, at Clockwise, we think a lot about this, but you do... I stress this, and I'm a broken record here, but you do want to think about how you're managing your time because that is the most important and contributing factor to how you're able to function in your job. And if you can monitor week over week just how much time you are able to spend on these proactive tasks, I think that's going to be really effective in you understanding how much you're able to get ahead. Because again, if you're spending your whole week reacting, if you're spending your whole week putting out fires, you're just not be going to be able to be as effective as a manager and help your team get ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one metric that I'd point to. And then for the subjective measures, what I would point to is some of the stuff that we've already talked to about getting the feedback from your team, from your peers, and from your manager about how you're doing. 
the one overwhelming kind of subjective metric that summarizes all of this is do people want to be on your team? That's tough to measure. Uh, you often don't have direct knowledge about that, but the very best managers are going to gain a reputation for being great leaders and people are going to want to work for them. That's really ultimately where you want to sit as an engineering manager, expand your career, is having that reputation of being effective, of being supportive for your team, of being able to manage communication, of being able to manage individuals. That rolls up a lot of different factors in terms of thinking about that up, down, horizontal measurement. Thank you. And I think it also is important to think about whether or not the kinds of people want to be on your team, who you want to be on your team. You know, because there are a lot of differences, even if we do similar jobs and you want to work with engineers who are really independent and do a lot of things on their own, but perhaps you would like to work with engineers who are uh, more collaborative and um, like to socialize more and um, think together more. Let's talk a little bit about the negatives here. What are some of the things that um, engineering managers should avoid and things that are absolute productivity killers, you know, just um, to shed a light on the not so pleasant side of time management. <laughs> so there are many enemies of productivity in the workspace. I mean, given the audience, I assume that many of you, like myself, are in an open office environment. I think probably the biggest productivity killer is just the ad hoc conversations that we have. And this is a really tough balance because one of the most fun aspects of an office environment and one of the real sparks of creativity and ingenuity can be ad hoc conversations. But I think it's about making the space for those in the right ways. And so being really conscious about when you're open for interruption, when you're open to those meetings, and when you're not. And it's the not times <laughs> that we've been talking a lot about, you know, that proactive time. You have to be really diligent about setting rules for yourself, you know, putting on headphones to indicate that you're not available for conversations. A big one for me is Slack. I think Slack can be a real productivity enhancer, but it can also be a killer, especially right now. And as we're recording this, so many of us are in work from home environments or working remotely due to COVID-19. Um, Slack is a really important glue for that. It's you know communication glue, but you have to actively manage it. If you just think about Slack as another part of your environment, it can take over with the interruptions, with people asking questions, with people putting out fires. And so just to dwell on Slack for one moment, I think it's really important to set the expectation that Slack, just like email, is going to be an asynchronous communication mode it's very easy to slip into the pattern of setting synchronous expectations. And the difference is a team member sends you a message in Slack. You know, I've seen this. They'll literally stop working or they'll stop what they're doing until they get a response from you. Because they expect it. They expect, Matt always responds to me in under 30 seconds. He's really good about synchronous communication. So I'm just going to wait on him. That's really damaging at both ends of the spectrum because for your reporter, the member of your team, or even your manager, a horizontal peer, they're stopping forward movement, waiting on you. And you now feel a lot of pressure to stop what you're doing in order to respond. And it doesn't even have to be that severe. It can be a very casual expectation that you're kind of going to respond. And you know, maybe the person on the other side just goes on Twitter for a couple of minutes while they wait for you. Setting the expectation that you're not going to be a synchronous responder breaks all of that in a really productive way. And you don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to be a bad teammate about it. You can just set the expectation by quitting Slack and doing it in batches or turning on do not disturb mode so that people see in Slack either you're not online or you have do not disturb on. So, okay, I guess you know Matt's not going to be able to respond to me in 30 seconds. I'm going to dump this in here and expect that he gets back to me sometime later. And the important thing is practice, because as you do this, behavior shift. We've actually seen this on our team where we've set the expectation that Slack is going to be asynchronous, where if somebody puts something in Slack, they don't expect a response right that moment. 
and people just get used to it and they their behavior changes. I think that's a really, really effective pattern that I would advocate for everyone. You can have a team conversation about this. You can bring it up at your next team sync and just make it clear that the expectation for Slack is, again, asynchronous communication. And it's not about if you don't respond in 30 seconds, it's not because you're a bad teammate. It's because you have things that are on your plate right now and you'll get back to people. That um, sounds like a really communication-oriented task for every manager to actually think about and set aside the time to make sure that everybody understands. Absolutely. And, you know, so much of this, Carolina, is about communication. So Slack, I dwelled on because for many of us, it's the fastest mode of communication and it's where we get a lot of it. But this goes to all methods of communication, you know, whether it's in the office, somebody tapping you on the shoulder. It's just about sending the clear expectations about when you're available for those conversations and when it truly has to be an emergency for an interruption. Because if every communication rises to the level of an emergency such that it needs that 30-second response time, you just can't get out from underneath that. And so it's your job as a manager to set the expectations around communication, make sure everybody's on the same page, make sure that people understand kind of the norms and the rituals on how you set your expectations, whether that's using do not disturb in Slack, whether that's putting on headphones to set the headphones rule, whether it's you know quitting Slack for periods of the days, it's up to you for how you want to do that and up to your team. But I think those are really important expectations to set. Right. And we talked a lot about um, Slack, but um, how about emails? I feel like it uh, might be going out of uh, practice a little bit with a lot of uh, Slack use, but um, I'm sure some engineers can relate and um, any engineering managers can also relate. How about getting a huge amount of uh, email? Yeah, so I literally set aside time to triage email in my calendar. You'll probably sense the theme that I'm very calendar oriented. I do think if you look at a lot of Harvard Business Review articles, academic studies, the top performers in organizations use their calendar as a record of truth. So getting blocks on your calendar for tasks you need to perform and know about in advance you need to perform is really essential. So we've been talking about it at a really high level proactive time versus reactive time. I consider email triage and getting through emails to actually be reactive time. It's time that somebody else is taking from you. And I schedule it up. I leave a block on my calendar every day and I'll just set aside you know, 30 minutes in the morning. It, what's nice about that is it doesn't really matter when that 30 minutes is. It could be at 8 a.m. It could be at 11.30 a.m. Just as long as I have it to make sure I'm on top of things. And again, this is about communication preferences and making sure you're clear about it. I've set the expectation that email is for longer form communications that aren't within an hour time sensitive. The expectation is I will get back to you probably that day, but I'm not going to get back to you necessarily that minute and maybe not even that hour. Mm -hmm. And so setting aside that time and then the other aspects are just good email hygiene practices. Get rid of the crap in your email. If you can unsubscribe from a bunch of stuff, if you can get those newsletters out, if you can get those spam emails out, if you can, I found this as you move up in the organization, the emails that you need to see change. So one small example, I don't need to see our Datadog daily digest reports anymore. I unsubscribe, you know, just make sure that you're getting kind of the crud out of your email. It's a nice step and thank you. Thank you very much for that. We have um, talked a lot about meetings and making sure that um, there is a set time and um, you gave us a really great evaluation method for, for our meetings. But um, let's talk a little bit about time management and productivity inside those meetings. So what are your thoughts about meetings running late or starting late or um, going off yep. topic for a while? How do you manage your meetings? This is a huge, huge topic. And I'll try to be brief because we could probably spend 30 minutes on this alone. People are of different minds about this. So I have a mentor who's been in the business for 40 years, a senior manager. He's been CEO at a major company. And he set the expectation inside his companies. He would always arrive at a meeting on time. If people weren't there on time, he would leave. 
And his point is that you know people get the message really quickly that the CEO is not happy and leaves a meeting on time, and that behavior is modeled. Similarly, he would set the expectation that if he would ask the question at the start of the meeting, what's the point of this meeting? And are the decision makers here to make a decision on that topic? Mm-hmm. And if either of those were not true, again, he'd leave the meeting to model behavior. I'm not that severe. <laughs> um, yeah, you can take that mode if you want. I think it's sound advice. I mean, people will pick up on it. So there's something to it. But what I what I have come to is it is really important to start a meeting on time. So while I don't leave the meeting, I will make note, especially now that we've gotten remote, it's very disruptive for people to sit on a Zoom link or a Hangout link wondering if anything's going to proceed. So just making sure that people communicate that they're going to be late ahead of time. And if people are late, just starting the meeting. If you start the meeting and they come in five minutes late, they're going to get the message. And then just noting to them that they were late and the reasons why it's really important to be on time. Reinforcing that behavior, I think, is really critical, regardless of how you choose to do it. It's just a cultural thing that if you let it slide, it's going to bleed into everything. People do model behavior. They take cues from the top. And if you're late, if you allow people to be late, if you don't comment on it, if you don't try to correct it, it's going to seep into every aspect of your organization. Now, additionally, how you run the meeting is a huge topic of conversation as well. There are a variety of different approaches to this. At Clockwise, we tried a few different approaches. I think what's really critical for people to understand is that it's not really one size fit all. People often have the opinion that every meeting should have an agenda. Every meeting should have 10 minutes at the start to read the agenda. Every meeting should have a key decision maker. In my opinion, and it's just one opinion, that's just not true. A stand-up is very different from a one-on-one, which is very different from a staff meeting, which is very different from a team sync. And so making sure to use the right tools for the right meeting. And I think for any meeting that has more than two people in it, it is important to make sure that there's one person responsible for the topic of that meeting and for that person to be able to articulate why people are in the room. Now, if that takes the form of an agenda, that's fantastic. If that takes the mode of that person putting up slides and stating what needs to be resolved in that meeting, that's fantastic. But what you don't want is to go to that meeting and to have everybody confused about why they're there. And so I think it's your job as a manager to ask those questions and to work with your team on how do we want to conduct our meetings? What are the tools that we want to use? And choosing, just picking something, just starting with something. Just don't allow the answer to be, we're just going to get in a room and figure it out. It's really easy to put the topic in the meeting description. It's really easy to spin up a quick agenda. It's really easy to use the Amazon model. I like this, so this is what we try to do at Clockwise, but to use the Amazon model of setting aside five to 10 minutes at the start of the meeting to read the materials that are going to be critical for making decisions in the meetings. You use what's best for you, but it's important just to pick how you're going to proceed. Right. So we have talked about um, setting time aside for your meetings, for productive work, for setting the agenda for yourself, for the future, you know, not being reactive. But how do you make those changes? If um, somebody is listening to us who has not been so thoughtful about their time management, what are some of the first steps that you would recommend that we take to make use of our time better? So the question is just for people who are swamped right now, who are underwater, what are the tactical steps they can take right now to make more time? Yes. Great. Again, not to be a broken record, but I would evaluate your time as it stands right now and evaluate where you have flexibility. I've been in the environment just to empathize with people who might be in the audience where I'm not just back to back all day, but I'm double booked, (laughs) you know, where it just feels intractable to get out from underneath the avalanche of stuff that's on my plate. That can be a very real environment, and especially in in an organization where your resource constraint, where your people constraint, it can be quite difficult to get out from underneath that. But the first step to me is always the same. Take stock of where you are today in that process. If you're truly underwater, 
take that analysis, do that calendar audit, take the analysis of how much time you have, and then go to your manager and have a conversation about, look, this is what it looks like on the ground right now. I don't have any time to get ahead. And so we need to come to terms with that. And the reality in the worst case scenario may be that there's no way to make an impact at the moment, but at least then your manager understands that you're not going to be able to be as effective as you'd like to be. And frankly, if that continues with perpetuity, that becomes a limiter on you and your career and your job, and you want to evaluate whether or not the organization can really give you the support you need. Now, in the better scenarios, again, it's about setting aside that time for the work that you need to do, blocking it off on your calendar, getting garbage off your calendar, things that are more flexible, moving them around. You know, it's okay to move meetings as a manager you might be the limiter on your team. And you kind of have to acknowledge that. It's not giving yourself a privileged position. It's not putting yourself above your teammates, but just acknowledging that your time may be a limiter for your team. So it's okay to move things around. It's okay to move things if they work for your teammates, but it's okay to move them to different times to open up your afternoon. It's okay to identify those meetings that you don't have to be a part of. If you have better meeting practices where somebody's taking notes, it's even easier for you to just read the notes afterwards. But you've got to get time for yourself. You've got to block it off. You've got to find that time for the focus work because if you don't have it, you're going to be sunk. You're going to be in reactive mode all the time. And then once you block it off, you've got to jealously, religiously protect that time. And again, at first, it's going to be so natural and human to want to put out the fires, to want to use it for email triage, to want to use it to go through Slack. But you got to use it to ask yourself, what are the critical things that you need to move your team forward and really using it? How nice. So you have to be very vigilant about protecting your own time, it sounds like. You have mentioned, you know, turning to your team and discovering through one-on-ones and, and talking to the members of your team about delegating some of the tasks that are not necessarily your tasks. But um, do you have any other tips on delegation for us? Yeah, you know, the delegation is a really important topic and uh, one that I'll be honest, I've struggled with in the past. I think it's very, very easy as managers at all levels of all stripes to, without thinking about it, take on more work then you really need to. And so what does that look like? That looks like you're a new manager. You're very comfortable with a certain area of the code base. Somebody's really struggling with it. And you say, hey, no problem. I'll fix that test. I know the code. I'll dive in. I'll do it. What it looks like is somebody really struggling with putting together their weekly goals and saying, you know what? I'll hop in. I'll do a draft of your goals. And then you give me feedback on what that looks like. Or it looks like somebody who is taking a recruiting call and you're saying, you know what, you've got a lot on your plate, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Depending on the context, those might be the right decisions if that other person is truly, truly stuck or truly underwater. But those are the little signals that you should set for yourself. It's kind of triggers in your brain about, hey, am I not delegating properly? You know, anytime that you're actively taking work back from your team, those are the biggest red flags. That means you're not just not delegating properly, you're actually going in the wrong direction. And I see this all the time for managers of all stripes. I do it. It's very human. Just set that kind of concept in your head as a red flag and make sure you're at least not doing that. And then that stops you from backpedaling. That stops you from going the opposite direction. Then you want to look really critically when you have that proactive time where you're running from thing to thing, Um, what are some areas that I can put some investment in order to delegate? Because I think the toughest thing about delegating is often you might be better at it. It's often the case that of everybody on your team, you're the manager for a reason. You have tons of context. You have tons of information. You've probably been a great contributor to the team for some time. You might be the best person for that task, but that doesn't mean you should do it. If there's an opportunity to be able to delegate that, to be able to put it on a member of your team, really think critically about that. And What do those tasks look like? Well, first, they look like making sure there's a delineation of roles and responsibilities. This is really tricky if you're in that transitional phase as a manager where you're still doing IC work. But if you're a manager that's moved on from IC work, 
stop yourself from diving back into projects ad hoc. And this is different, by the way. If you're an engineering manager, I do think it's important for you to set aside a little bit of time to do a little bit of engineering every week just to stay fresh and to stay familiar with the code base. Mm -hmm. That's different than sliding back into doing day-to-day IC work because you can't be a blocker. You have to make sure that you're not a blocker for your team and you're not doing that. So being clear about roles and responsibilities. And then as you're thinking about more strategic level work for your team, you're thinking about one-on-ones, you're thinking about planning. Think really critically about areas where you can offload some of the smaller tasks for your team or some of the research or some of the information gathering or some of the preparatory work. People will often really jump at that opportunity. They feel like they have an opportunity to up-level themselves, to think strategically about the team. It's going to take a little bit of work on your part. It's going to feel less efficient, but you really want to keep an eye on it. So now that we have gone through a lot of different um, aspects of time management and and productivity and um, how to delegate and um, how to deal with the incoming information and the different demands of your time. What about some of the productivity myths that um, you think people should know are not true or they should avoid doing whatever they think is best? There are a few that we can hit on. I'm sure that everybody's familiar with the mythical man hour. And basically what that comes down to is that more members of the team usually don't mean an increase in productivity. There's time to ramping individuals. I think everybody's very familiar with that. So I'm going to skip over that one. Mm -hmm. I think another myth is that more hours always equals more productivity. People burn out. People have a limit on how productive they can be in a day. That's different for each individual. That's different for the stage of your career, for the stage in your life you're in. That's different for the type of work you're doing. But more hours doesn't always equal more productivity. And it's also really influenced by the type of hours you have. So there's a very real impact to context switching, to running from meeting to meeting. So a two-hour block facilitates very different work than a 30-minute block can. So if you can make time, especially on engineering teams, for your team to have time to go heads down on a specific task for an extended period, it enables them to get in that flow time, into that flow space. And so a two-hour block, a four-hour block, you know, contiguous, uninterrupted time is just inherently has more optionality and is more valuable than that same amount of time split up throughout the day. So you want to make time for that. And then another aspect of that is that the more that you can focus your team, focusing on one area, one project at a time, instead of trying to multitask, it reduces the context switching and the overhead of managing between different projects. And then the last one that I'll hit on, and just in terms of a productivity myth is, I think we all can fall in the trap. This is probably true of this audience. You're listening for a reason of trying to maximize efficiency and productivity right now. And productivity over the long run might look different than efficiency over the next week. And so let me illustrate this point in something we were just talking about. It may take you time to figure out how to delegate a specific part of your job to a team member. And it may take you increased investment in that team member over the next couple weeks. Like if you just did it yourself, the total amount of time it takes to do the task might be an hour. Whereas if you try to delegate that task to another team member, it might take you a half hour and them two hours. It's going to look less efficient. But over the long run, what you've enabled is more capacity on your team overall. And it's your job as a manager to think about the longer term cycle and the longer term health, stability, and productivity of your team. And so you just got to be careful about the trade-offs between short-term efficiency and long-term capacity and output. And always keep an eye on that just to make sure you're not making short-term trade-offs that have long-term costs. It sounds like you spend a lot of time maximizing the long-term positive outcomes of how you spend your time. And we have touched on this a little bit. You know, we talked about uh, being the master of your own time. That's kind of how I took it from your words. It really makes a good impression on your productivity if you can actually proactively manage your own time and um, kind of blockade your time and uh, and not be under the pressure of 
replying to Slack messages when you are in your in your focus <laughs> time. Just to end on a positive note here, what can you tell us? How does it look like when someone you know should say, "I am doing great in terms of time management and productivity"? Yes, it looks all different ranges of outcomes. So one of the things that I think it looks like is you feel like you're less underwater. So a lot of this is just kind of how it feels for you to be a manager. And I can speak to this. And I think we've all had glimmers of this. So you might be able to recognize it. It's going home on a Friday and feeling like things are under control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, nice. it's, yeah, it's heavier. It's heavier weekend, and you know you still might do work, but it's it's heavier weekend and feeling like you know I could just take the weekend and come back in on Monday, and we'd be in a good spot as a team. Or it's going home on a Tuesday night and saying, you know what, I'm going to be able to just watch Netflix and not respond to Slack messages, and come in tomorrow morning and feel like the team is in a good spot. Like it's it enables you to have this feeling that you're on top of the most important items. And uh, what this dedication to thinking about your time critically is enabling precisely that. And I can make it really real to everybody who's listening to this because it's, it's just a simple math problem. If you don't make that time inside the week, inside your normal working hours, one of two things is going to happen. You're either not going to have time for it at all, and it's going to be in the back of your head leading to anxiety. You're going to think about it in the shower. You're going to think about it at night. You're going to think about it when you wake up, or you're going to do it after hours when you're going to be burnt out and you're not going to have time to relax. and You're not going to have time to think about what's really critical, and you're going to be jamming through it as quickly as possible because it's 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night. It's just a simple math problem. You only have so many hours in the week. And so if you don't reliably make time for what's important for you, your job, and your team inside the working hours, it's either not going to happen or it's going to happen at times that are going to sap you of energy and you're not going to be able to do it as well. And so it just comes down to the simple math of it. you got to figure out a way to get in the week. You've got to be diligent about it. You've got to have hard conversations with your manager about whether or not you have the time for it. And if you do that, I think over time, it's going to start to feel like, yep, I got this. I'm on top of it. I don't need to stress out about it at 9 p.m. That's awesome. It sounds like we really have to be, you know, self-reflective about how we work and what we spend our time on. Is there anything else that you would like to mention that we haven't uh, touched on? One thing that I'd like to mention here is the importance of managing our own psychology about all this as well. Um, it, and it goes hand in hand with what I just mentioned. There are always hours outside of working hours of the week. You can always stay up later. You can always sleep less. You can always you know, work on the weekends. And similarly, in most of the jobs that we have, there's almost always more to be done. There's more uh, management that could be done. There are more conversations that could be had. There's more engineering work that could be done. The trick is you've got to set the parameters for yourself in terms of when you're going to be doing work and not. But then also just going back to something I said right at the start, taking it a little bit easy on yourself. We're all human. We're not able to do everything under the sun all at once. You only have so much capacity. And just being honest with yourself about those limits as a human, as a manager, as a contributor to your team, and then managing your own psychology, your own thoughts, your own anxiety around that really critically. And being honest with yourself, you are enough. You can do this. If you budget the time, you can make time to do it in the week. And that's what your team needs right now. They don't need you running around with your hair on fire or working at all hours of the day. (laughs) Right, right. Thank you for that. If some of our listeners would like to follow your work or get in touch with you, how should they go ahead and try to find you? Yeah, so I'm going to point people in three places, and they go in level of specificity. So the first is, I would go to our website, getclockwise.com. The product that we provide helps managers get more time for focus work automatically. This is what we do day in, day out. So if people have listened to the podcast and find this interesting, please give us a try. We also talk a lot about this in our content because it is an area of focus for us. So read our work, take a look, let me know what you think. And you can always get in contact with me at Twitter. My handle is VoxMatt, V-O-X-M-A-T-T, VoxMatt. Or 
feel free to email me anytime, matt, M-A-T-T, at getclockwise.com. That's matt, M-A-T-T, at getclockwise.com. I do get a fair amount of emails, so just call out that you heard uh, about me on this podcast, and I'll make sure to pay attention and get your response. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. This is a lot of fun. To our listeners, you have just listened to the Level Up Engineering podcast episode on productivity and time management with um, our guest today, Matt Martin from Clockwise. It was really enlightening for me and I hope it was enlightening for you as well. I am Carolina Tot, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.